Hi everyone, how are you? Hope everyone is fine. Um, sharing the room and so on. So we'll start in around eight minutes. So thank you for coming. And in the meantime, you can check out our guest speaker's website. He has really amazing research um, projects, overviews on there that you can check out. Um, they are really interesting. So. I really recommend checking those out. Thank you.
Everyone will start in around three minutes. Thank you for coming. In the meantime, I recommend checking out the website that is pinned on top of the room. That is the website of our guest speaker. And you can see there an overview of his different um, projects he's working on. Uh, hi, Richard. How are you? Thanks for coming. Hi, Kathleen. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. Perfect. Perfect. That's really nice. Um, I thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I had a good day. Yeah. So it's uh, evening in Germany. So it's uh, <laughs> so everything's nice. I can have a quiet place uh, to participate in the clubhouse. Nice. Um, I grew up in Germany. I don't know if I told you. What. Um, wow. No, I did not know that. Oh yeah, yeah. My parents still live there, and my brothers still live wow. in Germany. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you like <laughs> yes, it. so far so good. How long are you in Germany now? Well, it's, it's, it hasn't been long. It's a little bit more than half a year. But before, you know, I live in Switzerland, so it's not much difference. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, Switzerland is really nice. I, I mm -hmm. like Switzerland a lot. It's, uh, yeah, I really like it. We used to go every year. Yo, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how to speak German now? Not really, unfortunately. It's not a very intuitive language to learn. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, before I think I only know how to speak something like, um, uh, can I order like a crispy chicken wrap? Like, um, that, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I, I really have horrible. I, I did not really pay much attention <laughs> to that. Well, it's fine. It's not like it's very useful for the, like, it's just Germany, Austria, and Switzerland where you can speak mm -hmm. it. Like, yeah, but, yeah. You know, <laughs> and for your work, you don't really need it. So. Yeah, that's true. That's really lost a lot of motivation. Otherwise, I think I'll pay a lot. I will spend, yeah, definitely some time to learn German. Yeah. And uh, is the heat wave over in 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 Germany? Oh. Well, I'm not so sure, at least for this week, definitely at this uh, week and last week is, um, yeah, last week's, a, it's pretty bad. It's got really hot. And, and uh, yeah, I have to, I, sometimes it might all like, a, uh, my schedule had really changed because I, I re it's hard to fall asleep uh, at night. I have to uh, get up a little bit late because then, you know, I can have a proper good sleep and then change a little bit working hours a bit. <laughs> Because of the heat wave. Yeah, there's no AC, right? That's the problem. The people mm. don't have ACs in Germany, so. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then it's very humid. It's like inland, like it's not by the. Oh, so. exactly. I think, yeah, because they live in Constance, so even uh, worse, I think the lake has a lot of humidity. Uh, it makes things quite hot, actually. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a, it's like probably the best area in Germany to be is Constance. <laughs> yes, that's, this is really a beautiful place. And the, the lake is so nice. And I even swim in it. It's, it feels really great. But the lake is kind of cool though, right? I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Lake so of Blast is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love 
constants and that region is pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must miss 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 the, the life in Europe now, huh? Yeah, yeah, I I do. Uh, and with COVID and stuff, you know, travel was kind of not too much. Mm. Um, because then you get stuck and then you're not back in time for work again, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm hoping to go back to Europe this winter. So, mm -hmm. but mostly to Portugal, usually our family then meets in Portugal. Um, yeah, sure. Around Christmas, yeah. I think that's a great place to visit. Yeah. So usually I, I don't go much back to Germany, but. <laughs> I have to make time. <laughs> okay, I think we can slowly start. Um, Absolutely. Gonna, um, yeah, and then um, maybe <laughs> next time we talk some more about travel. <laughs> of course, absolutely. <laughs> okay, welcome everyone to Science Society. And of course, a special welcome uh, to you, Richard. Um, so. You. Before we start, uh, let me um, give our audience a little bit of um, some information about you so they get to know you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, Dr. Richard Gu, he's a postdoc at, in the physics department at the University of Constance. And he works with Professor Clemens Bechinger. Um, exactly. And um, he studied mechatronic engineering at the Zhejiang University. Uh, and during his bachelor, um, he joined um, a young scientist exchange program in Tokyo Institute of Technology. And um, as an exchange student, he worked on the microfabrication and electrohydrodynamic systems. And later on, he then um, did his master's in, in micro and nano systems at the ETH uh, Zurich. And um, he did his PhD at multi-scale robotics lab at ETH Zurich uh, with Professor uh, Brad Nelson. And during his PhD, he also worked as an editor editorial assistant to Brad. And um, his interests um, in his work or research um, um, are magnetic assemblies and structured magnetic materials, swarm micro-robotic locomotion, artificial cilia systems, magnetic soft robotics for biomedical applications. And I pinned on top of the room um, the website where you can find um, um, a lot of um, information about all the about the different projects. But I will switch now to um, to another link, and I will post this link then to the chat so people can access it later on. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, thank you again, Richard, for being here. And Thank usually, you so much, Katarina. Um, and usually before we start, we'll ask a couple of interview questions, if that's okay with you. Of course, of course. So um, 
when did you realize that you um that like science is basically your life and science engineering was it maybe a teacher or some some book or you know was there something in, or was it something you always wanted to do and it was always your thing basically um oh that's a really good question i, I did not prepare for that um i don't really know so i think um uh as far as i see i was always interested in science and uh, I'm a, i have a pretty strong curiosity uh so i sometime i always want to know you know try to dig the bottom of it and see uh what's what's the mechanism working behind uh the world with uh you know with this with the machines for everything i encounter so i always have this very strong curiosity and then when the years pass i'm getting more and more um, interested in the oh can you hear me yes mm -hmm. oh, yeah. oh i see sometimes i lost the freedom okay excellent so uh so over the years, I, I get, you know, different, try with different ideas that I have, you know, tr you know, in the certain stages, I was getting more, uh, more uh, interested in realizing my ideas. I think scientific, uh, especially in engineering communities are really, uh, there are many interesting things going on in the robotics. And you can just, uh, I, I think to me, uh, that there's nothing more fun than just make some of your own small setup and machines and watch it move, right? You build your own robot and watch it move. I think this is really uh, fun and exciting to me. So, yeah, that's, I think, that's how I interest in science and uh, engineering in general. That's interesting. Um, and it, yeah, I agree. It is wonderful. I used to play with Lego a lot and. Um... Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then from that, from how is there maybe a story behind these projects? Um, how did you come to work in this specific field then, or work on this specific project? Was it kind of easy to get grants for it? Um, you know, is there maybe a background story behind this project? Oh, uh, yeah, that could be, uh, that definitely, the, I think uh, the, the, the reason lead me to this lab or, you know, the way I did my PhD in, the, this in, at, in Zurich is, uh, I was reading the news or the papers at the time and I really find something really exciting that people make this microscopic machine and uh, how it can move it. Uh, and it uh, and uh, and I get used to this like micro system, which you use the microfabrication techniques to make something fabricated in small scale. Like a uh, well, of course, initially they are originated from this integrated circuits to like photolithography, microfabrication, and then uh, many mechanical engineers join in the community to try to make something you know a mechanical system that is functional, like this digital mirror arrays for the projectors. Just many successes also for with this like MAMS uh, gyroscope sensor that which is in aerophone right now and the, the field is really gradually evolving and around 10 years ago this microbiotics really coming to uh, I think that the stage is uh, people uh, I mean they know how to make let's say static structures uh, you can integrate many micro or 
uh, actuator into a system which is overall on the chip, which is not really moving. But then consider another case, like how to you can how to make something like mobile and move along the way, and that really like um, this idea, which some people say they can be traced back to this fantastic voyage with this all the this uh, fiction uh, movie. Uh, but I think they're really just the curiosity how you can make something move, make a really small scale object move in that scale that you have very limited space that you cannot put standard method you can have a battery have an actuator have a sensor have a microcontroller to put into a small very very tiny microscopic object and uh, and then they trigger a lot of fundamental question how to make the move and then uh engineers uh especially like what at that time i think my supervisor Brad nelson was really a pioneer in the field um they they proposed many ways you especially use magnetic methods to control and move to small scale objects and uh and that was really exciting for me because you just see how they get insp inspired by nature and create this all this stuff so i think this kind of the idea uh that to engineer in the microscopic system that we don't encounter in everyday life, right? So what we encounter is more like a you know meter scale or at least a centimeter scale object. So our intuition, which we gain from the daily life, they are not very useful in terms of design small scale objects. And uh, sometimes it could be super counterintuitive because the scaling effect, right? At the small scale, like the viscous is really dominant and, and the things can change drastically. And that's how, let's say, of course, for as an engineer, if you don't find a good solution, then you look at nature because they already optimized after, you know, millions of years. And, uh, and then people start to mimicking the bacteria, flagella, how to make things move or the sperm, how they propel. And this is a whole field just started. And then, and then people right now, people are in the stage to explore potential application for that, to use those kind of uh, micro robot to make potential medical application to carry drugs to as lab on the chip uh, manipulation, uh, micro manipulation. It's just, uh, it's a whole quite a large field actually. Yeah, thank you for giving us that uh, wonderful introduction. And it's so fascinating, such a fascinating field. So I can't wait to hear your presentation. So um, the link for your um, presentation is now um, on top of the, the room so everyone can access it. And um, yeah, and the stage is yours. Um, um, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katarina. And uh, this is like a, ask this very general question to guide the audience gradually get familiar with uh, the, the work that have been, I will introduce today. So I think as I explained, this microbiotic is getting uh, quite interest, more and more interesting because uh, there, there are potential to be used in the human body. And also as a roboticist, we use this magnetic field, we, just, we control them through external magnetic field. So um, our lab not only make this small scale micro robot, but we also focusing on this magnetic system, which you build electromagnetic coils and you generate uh, you pump into the different current and then you can generate different magnetic field around this electromagnets and then by properly control them, you can have the desired magnetic field as you want. So uh, those systems, they're all very crucial to the applications. And we are, uh, I think the whole field is also, we are gradually moving from the stage that it's already very exciting to make small scale move as you want it to 
thinking about the potential impact, how we can translate this to, let's say, any kind of medical application, because this kind of precision drug delivery, like this swallowable micro doctor that can just navigate inside the body and find the tumor or find whatever uh, they want and to do the uh, do the treatment, it's a very like a, a very exciting dream to drive many scientists and engineers to working towards that direction. So today I would like to introduce uh, our recent work on this direction, some recent development on uh, in this uh, in this background about how we can robustly control those microbes or deliver those microbes into uh, inside the body in a very unpredicted uh, environment. So uh, I will start with this a fantastic voyage. It's a very old Hollywood movie, which actually probably very early they think uh, maybe not the first, but definitely the pioneers think of how to shrink a small scale machines down and send humans uh, into uh, doctors into the human body and do the treatment. And uh, this, uh, this movie, many people really like it. Uh, it's actually pretty good, in, 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 very successful at the time. And uh, uh, they really planned this idea into the, uh, into the, in, into, uh, the society that maybe one day someone can realize that. And it is because a lot of work has been realize they can use a uh, bacteria inspired as helical propulsion, like just like a corkscrew motion, same principle as the bacteria swim, or make something like a rolling me mechanism, like uh, like some small roller, like a self-assemble and then uh, rolling on the surface, like how the wheels move on the ground. So those are so many type of, uh, but this need a surface, those type of a uh, locomotion mechanism has been developed to drive the small scale machines to move. And we already see those, uh, some of maybe more small scale uh, uh, lab on the chip applications. Uh, but if you really think uh, to put yourself on board with this micro machines in the human body, I think this voyage is not so fantastic because it will be a chaotic case. Uh, those machines, at least for what we developed so far, they have a relatively slow speed. They basically typically a couple of uh, body lengths per second, and they are really in a very small scale, like a micrometers. And for example, uh, in the in the blood, as the image pr uh, proposed, that they can they have a flow, and this flow is not constant speed. We have a positive flow, and they also because they have a, a blood vessel, so close to the vessel wall, the flow speed is zero, and the, in the center is the highest. So there's a shear uh, flow there, so they can reorient your body. So if you are the uh, this fantastic watch, mini machine, a micro micro robot, a micro machine, micro vehicles. You're probably gonna have a very hard time if you are uh, as the same as a car seat like I have. Then you will have a hard time. And also those small uh, small scale micro robots, they are foreign uh, foreign object. They are not you know interesting our body, so they're gonna trigger some kind of immune response. So the, let's say microphages can just capture it and uh, eat it. Basically, they will not you know let them just uh, pass by. And also you have blood cells, you have different types of fibers. They can get jammed, they get stuck. They many things can happen to the small vehicle. So so if you think of this, this is really, uh, this is really challenging and uh, on the board when you be in high risk. And also what's the worst case is they are just get lost. Like uh, they lose connection to the external uh, controller and then you cannot find it anymore because they're just tiny, like let's say similar with the uh, cell scale. 
So it's also likely we are not able to find it anymore. And those challenges even get worse if you consider you want to deliver a lot of them into the human body. So for the swarm control, you have many of these vehicles and then uh, they those individual control, but you only have, let's say for magnetic microbiome, you only have one global magnetic field to control everyone. And uh, they usually, those machines have uh, diff intrinsic differences due to the fabrication differences. So they will very difficult to control many of them, although there are some very promising progress in the direction, especially in the Chinese University of Hong Kong and the Legion's group, there are many uh, very promising direction for swarm control. But overall, uh, this is still a very, very challenging job. And uh, I'll be really surprised to see someone can you know, can robustly deliver this into the body. And also, if you think of more uh, realistic scenario, if you have some risk that potential get, you know, lost your foreign object, it's very hard to get uh, approval from the regulatories either. So because that uh, will be, so those many challenges uh, limiting their future to implement such a fantastic voyage into the real human body. So I'm going to move to the uh, next slide. So, uh, so if you think of uh, really like a, we are at the stage to think of how to implement further into the human body, and I would just use a recent publication that for magnetic uh, guide wire for a, for example stroke uh, treatment, they are they're usually composed of a couple parts. First, you need to have a magnetic actuation system which provide this global magnetic field which drives this our whatever magnetic microbial inside the body. In this case, they are magnetic guide wire, but in the previous case, they can be a helical shape this micro robots. And uh, this is the first part. The second part is the micro robot itself. Of course, we need to inject it somehow or like this through the vein that we can uh, gradually uh, push through the, uh, the blood vessel in this interventional uh, uh, surgery in this case to, uh, to navigate inside the human body to reach the target position. And the third part, which is also very important and uh, people rarely talk about is this uh, fluorescent fluoroscope because we need to track where they are. You need to image, especially in this uh, system structure that uh, this fluoroscope need to be uh, is probably the only uh, available and robust feedback. I think ultrasound is also many people look to look at, but the image quality, the resolution, they also play a role there. So in that case, I think still at the current stage, the fluoroscope is the most promising one. And uh, that also means we need to get exposed to the x-ray, maybe a little bit, you know, the dose will be fine for the patient, but for the doctor, that could also be a one concern. And uh, then you you will have an image for where the micro robot are, right? And then you combine as a feedback mechanism. This imaging will provide, let's say, the real time position. So this this uh, feedback from the fluoroscope image is not only the position, also the time is also important. If you can imagine when they're in the arteries, which is like flow very very fast speed, then you need to have a very fast tracking as well. Otherwise, you can potentially lose it. So all this. You can see there all these parts need to work together to have a potential application of this micro robot into the human body. So I just use a very inappropriate analogy to this process, like a deliver, uh, like a, use a drone to deliver a package in the storm day, which you have the wind, you have this, you have the thunder, you have the uh, the rain, and then it's just really, really, really difficult. And especially this in vivo environment, you have all this. Uh, um, blood cells, you have all this immune system response. So 
you are not doing an easy job in a very or lab or in a very well controlled well known experiment. This is really uh, challenging because there's so many things is out of our control and it's a very nasty environment. Also with very limited access, we only let's say right now the ro robust feedback is the fluoroscope. So, uh, so all this poses so many different challenges. So I just make it sounds really, really difficult. Uh, but, but if you, and also, uh, so all those three aspects, if you understand actuation system, those uh, aspects is uh, when you think of designing the actual micro robots, all these three aspects need to be considered. For example, as I explained, you need to be driven magnetically. That means you need to have magnetic material on the micro robot. Right, so um, I already go to the uh, slide number four. So uh, those magnetic material provide a uh, driving force and torque to uh, for the micro robot to move inside the body. And if you want it to overcome a very strong flow, of course you need to put more magnetic material on it so it can be driven more strongly through the external magnetic field. And the other part is the cargo material. For example, typically there will be a drug or in certain cases it can be magnetic nanoparticle for hypothermia. But whatever well, we want to do, there also could be the, the other materials that we want to carry on. That's actually the target material. So we want to put enough material for this. If there's not enough material on one single robot, then we need to implement many of them, right? So that's also pay, put challenges. And for many cases, I think for many applications, the drug you need to have a minimum concentration locally, even though you're doing a local delivery, but you still need, you know, room to put this cargo or the drugs to on board with the micro robot. And the last part, as I say, the third part is about the use X-ray tracking. And then usually we put this X-ray contrast agent onto the micro robot so we can see it more easily through uh, the X-ray. So based also, if you want higher temporal resolution, you also need to put more because then the amount of X-ray uh, you apply is also sufficient to see where they are in the real time. So all these three material is necessary to put a very, very limited space, which is typically a cup as roughly as the same scale of the cells, let's say a couple of hundreds of micrometer or tens of micrometer, they are thinner or smaller than a hair. So those small material need to put all of three and they are, you see, they are kind of, uh, we need to make optimization and have to compromise between those three. So that's why, so many of the research paper or uh, many of the public, even uh, very high profile publications, they, they don't tell you this big picture. And what they do is when they talk about this biodegradability or how much cargo they can take, they use, uh, this polymer, uh, of, let's say the polymer to fill with the whole, uh, this uh, helical structure and they coat it with a little bit of magnetic material. So you can carry tons of drug on that, but you will be extremely weak in the magnetic field. So that's how they demonstrate their degradability, including us the same. And also when you talk about those uh, microbial can overcome the blood flow, what they do, they use a pure of almost, uh, pure nickel sphere and they coat a thin layer on the outside. So of course you're very strong because you're all, all the, all the volume is used for magnetic material. So they're very powerful uh, to drive uh, in the external magnetic field, but then the drug you actually coat on the surface is very limited. For certain applications, fine, but there are many other applications very limited. And of course, you can imagine that, uh, let's say nickel is not really biodegradable. So if you think of in the body, that is really not, uh, 
you know, you can imagine to use that. So usually people make those compromises and when they want to show the strength in one direction, they just do it really well, but they don't really talk about the other direction. And so, so I want to propose something different. Uh, you know, we can try to break out uh, this uh, framework to do something a little bit different. And for the robust, uh, so so then you can think of this is uh, if you have mobile de delivery, it's so difficult. Can we think of something more robust? Of course. So as uh, most of ad medical application, you want to deliver liquid or extract liquid, you use medical catheter, and those catheter have so many methods to drive. Some of them have internal. Um, the pull wire, so you can tilt it like in the standard endoscope, or some of them can be magnetically guided. So there are also some works from our group is working on that. So you can use external magnetic field to guide, similar as I showed you previously to show this magnetic possible guide wire. And if you have this uh, lumen as a medical catheter, as you can imagine, you can just pump whatever drug or anything through the inner lumen, right? So that's really like the most robust method ever. Like uh, blood, let's say, uh, they would not have a direct, because they're just sealed, they're encapsulated. There's nothing can direct interact with this uh, in vivo environment. So, and uh, this is also compatible with the magnetic navigation system. So they're, they're, they're pretty ideal, but this also have a disadvantage, especially consider something small is um, there's a law called Hagen-Poisson flow. So if you shrinking down the dimension to it at the micrometer level, the drag is so high that the pressure is incredibly, uh, is, is, uh, is prohibitively high that they will not allow you to pump in a very fast speed. So everything will be kind of like, a, it's like pumping like a glue or honey through a very small, uh, like uh, like uh, you, uh, with, you use a straw to drink honey from it, that would just take like forever. So that is the limitation fundamentally. And you can see from the equation, so the pressure drop is uh, inverse proportional to the uh, radius of the tube of four. So this goes pressure, you know, the pressure required to pump the sufficient amount of drug increase very rapidly when you shrink it down. So at small scale, that is not something really ideal. So consider all of this um, delivering challenges. We're looking at a nature for some potential solution. And the one of the well-known example is this intra, uh, in, intracellular transport using the uh, microtubule and the cannison motor, also also with the dynamotor, lets it walk the, all the opposite directions. I think there are a lot of uh, biologists in the, in the audience, so I would just try, I would not explain too much on that. So. Uh, and, and then there's some famous video that to, for visualizing this process, I think is really fantastic. This, uh, this kinesin motor has this two domain and they can alternately bond with a microtubule to walk forward. And this is uh, really beautiful to see. And, they, and of course, this process costs energy with ATP, but this is highly conserved and that they are applied for almost many cells. In certain cases, for example, the neural cells, we have the really, really long, uh, and they can also deliver this cargo to the end of synapses, if I'm, you know, I'm doing I call it correctly, and then they can release this chemical signal to trigger the next neural motion. And this can be like almost as long as half meter. So this must be a really robust transport mechanism along that. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I, we want to mimic it. And another way to think conceptually different than the medical catheter is the medical catheter using tube structure to isolate it, the whatever inside the tube. 
an outsider tube. But in the cell, because they're so small, I get, of course, microtubule is a tubule, but what they do is they are not transport anything inside the tube, but they're transported outside. So it's more like uh, I'm climbing a rail or a track and then I'm dragging another thing with me. So I think this idea of something from inside to outside is also very um, you know, inspiring because then I'm thinking, can we just do something transport from outside instead of the inside? And then this lead to us to make this uh, magnetically um, artificial microtubule that we have, we make this art, uh, a fiber using a very standard uh, materials called SU8 is uh, just uh, for, semi uh, for um, micro mechanical systems, uh, very easy to process, well-established method. And then we electroplated, there are some magnetic posts inside this fiber. So this fiber has a lot of holes, but then after electroplated, then they are inside. And then if you put anything, let's say outside as magnetic material close to this uh, artificial microtubule or this uh, synthetic uh, fiber, then uh, this magnetic start, uh, the, the, under a certain magnetic field, then your object will start to interact with this, uh, uh, your, your artificial microtubule fiber. And this magnetic interaction, usually there can be attraction. So in this case, we make them all uh, soft magnetic material, which means their magnetization is completely determined by the external magnetic field. And as you can see, you know, in the figure, basically uh, the rod, which will just rolling under the external magnetic field, will using this uh, small, tiny magnets inside the fiber as an anchoring point to to propel forward, so a little bit like a stepping stone. So when when the the magnetic rod is a micro rod is on this post on on this magnetic post inside the fiber, they are really like stuck because they're really strong magnetic interaction between them, and they can use it to propel forward. So most interestingly, because their magnetization is dynamic, so. Uh, it's it's not like uh, when I'm walking on the gluey surface that my feet will be glued completely on the ground. Those magnetic is dynamic, so they can be turned off as well. So when there's like oscillating on and off, on and off. So when they are kind of off, which means magnetic field is perpendicular, uh, sorry, uh, perpendicular to this um, uh, nickel plate, they will, the magnetic direction is really small. So those rods can propel step-by-step step forward. So they also give them the chance to release it similar, very similar to the kinesis motor mechanism. So this kind of step-wise step attraction and the release this kind of uh, motion design, they're really, uh, really like show, uh, give us some quite surprising results uh, for us. For example, uh, they are walking so well, they rarely, so we have to use this almost 99% or almost pure glycerol to test their dynamics because we want to capture what happens if you cannot overcome the drag. Because the, in the water, they just keep, uh, always keep uh, in tra on track with this motion. And they're really like, uh, so they rotate one cycle for every two steps. So basically every time they go half uh, rotation cycles, they will go one step at very low speed. And then uh, if you go to slide seven and play the video, you will see they really like in you know, Olympic swimming, then all this micro robots start to move to the right and you see uh, at the different uh, frequency conditions. So for very low speed, of course, this will roll will just like a flip step by step by step follow perfect you know this half circle trajectory and they move forward but of course as all the micro robot a micro robot if you uh, uh increase the rotating magnetic field speed 
they will keep it up at a certain level, they will start to lose track. They will not able to keep the field, you know, keep your step anymore because the hydrodynamic interaction get really dominant. They will just slow things down. Uh, and in this case, we we provide a very good uh, uh, method to uh, to explain roughly, especially from a fundamental point of view, uh, a modeling to explain what is going on there. So there are actually two type of uh, asynchronization here. Uh, one is this lead translational asynchronization, and the other voice is a uh, rotational synchronization. We also provide a, uh, a model to explain how to predict those uh, transition synchronization, and uh, and the, the result is those microtubules, if you have this micro rod on the microtubule, this is a spinning motion, they really provide a fast and a robust locomotion. So uh, so by saying fast, we need some comparison or some benchmark. So we de uh, develop this value, which like a normalized value, we call it Z value. So it's a velocity divided by the frequency and the length. Basically, it tells you how many uh, steps, how many translational motion they go by giving you one certain rotation, how many body length they walk forward, basically. And uh, this really put the result uh, on top of with many other uh, comparisons. For example, uh, many of the micro swimmer, they slip, which is not really a surprise because, uh, for example, it's, it's how can I say, uh, for like surface roller, because there is a like a liquid layer between the micro robot and the surface, they will not like glue on the surface to move forward. They're more like, I'm as a person, I'm running on the ice. So each step I make will not be a full step. Instead, they will just be, make me fool a little bit. So if I run really, really fast, like this uh, cartoon movie, um, um, that I may be able to get very fast, but this is highly inefficient. But if you bring this micro robot, this micro roller, especially this rod structure onto the artificial microtubule, then you, you will significantly increase the speed. So in our case, uh, we roughly about an order of magnitude, about 10 times higher to the other magnetic micro swimmer as a comparison. And we think this is a, a really uh, interesting and very shocking result because um, in this way, if you think of this uh, triangle structure, as we said before, before, if you want to make a micro robot, you need to make a lot more magnetic material, but you make other sacrifices. But now, if you put this on the microtubule, artificial microtubule, you don't have to make those compromises. You just bring your speed to the next level using this. And what is more interestingly is uh, those uh, those microtubule provide a guide because they're constantly attraction force between the micro robot and the artificial microtubule. So they will always get uh, somehow close by. They will not just easily to lose track, even though what we show they lose track, but they are talk about horizontal motion. They will not easily to be just fly uh, by uh, washed away by the blood. So this kind of, and, and we also tested um, experiments, which we just use a static feel, and those uh, micro robot really just get anchored on one of the plate, which very, very hard to move it. We have to apply insanely high uh, speed of the pure glycerol to wash them away. And uh, and as as I've mentioned previously, uh, the ideal case will to be used in the blood, so and the blood is to have the flow. So we need to test them under a more realistic flow condition. So this flow is not just a hydrodynamic drag force, but it also apply a shear force, which they're trying to ban this micro rod as well. So as I, I put in the slide number nine, uh, the micro robot really just rolling 
uh, on that, even under the very external strong flow. And we measure this flow, uh, flow vocal motion speed and external flow speed under the different uh, uh, rotating frequency and see how it behaves. And we provide the theoretical, if you're interested, you can read the supplemental material. We have the theoretical prediction showing how this external flow influence this locomotion speed. And we also observe something interesting uh, like uh, they have this like a two stages. Uh, there's some details quite interesting for uh, like sleep and the, uh, it's, it's really fun to see how they cope with this uh, drag and uh, you really feel sometimes this uh, record was like struggling to uh, hold on to this track and the, the, but unfortunately they're not strong enough they have to be washed away. Uh, but all these experiments, we are trying to explore the boundary for this uh, because this, there's so many interesting dynamics happening which we did not understand before. So we are really using some extreme uh, condition which is not will be the same in the real body. For example, the the the, the, the glycerol ninety nine percent glycerol is about a thousand times more viscous than uh, than the water. So because we want to capture the really this the full dynamics that's why we use these really extreme cases to see to understand the, this physical system and and then you can and if you uh and with the result for this end of the flow condition is really striking because they're very similar to the natural microtubule uh flow dynamics so if you see the slide 10 there are some really pioneering working around the uh, around 2000 that is really the single uh they use optic tweezer to measure the force that you can apply to the single kinesis motor walking on the single microtubule. So when the kinesis motor walk, then they use the optic tweezer to apply this optic force to uh, to hold this bead and see how fast this bead move along with it. So uh, they they have this a famous uh, load versus velocity plot, and they they measure like what is the low uh, the, the the force to hold back so the kinesis don't move anymore further and i think and this decay like with a higher load uh the lower velocity this almost let's say a little bit linear this decay is very similar for what we observe under the flow so in that case they use optic tweezer to apply this load in our case we use uh, external flow to apply the load so um we also have a we are now let's say it's not like some machine if you just apply some load over a certain range they will just crash right but in this case they are kind of gradually slow down into zero speed and then they will just uh, keep uh but you already have a much improved compared with the local flow speed uh and also in certain cases for example this uh for 0 0.2 hertz very slow speed you also see a little bit like a plateau there's a weak dependence on the for drag uh, load force uh, at this uh, lower external load uh, conditions. And uh, uh, I find this really amazing and striking because uh, this artificial microtubule is used completely different mechanism. We implement magnetic interaction and we are in a very different scale. We are about a micrometer or so the typical periodicity, if you're interested, they are, they are really just like a 90 micrometer in the, in the periodicity and the width and the, and the height of the microtubule is about four, uh, 80 micrometer times uh, 50 micrometer. So they are slightly thinner than a hair. Well, if your hair is really thin, then maybe it's similar. So they're really like a hair uh, dimension, uh, but in the natural microtubule, they're like the diameter is about 200 nanometer. They're really like 20 nanometer, sorry. They're really like small scale, nanometer scale. But when you measure the dynamics, they're just strikingly similar. So I find the similarities very interesting. Um, and uh, so uh, 
following this, we also studied this kind of swarm local motion behavior because we, when we use small micro rod, this micro rod is the same length as the periodicity, so they're all at the micrometer scale. So we are thinking, can we use this to transport smaller cargo? So we use uh, this uh, magnetic micro spheres, which is really like a polymeric, a polymetric of uh, matrix. Uh, and they have a, a bit of iron oxide nanoparticles, which is already get approved by the FDA as this is biocompatible materials. And then uh, they, they are very weak in terms of magnetic uh, mag uh, magnetic directions. And then uh, we just spread it out uh, uh, and then uh, apply a field. If you play the video, you will see they will start to assemble at around the, around the microtubule because around this microtubule you have a very strong magnetic field gradient. So all the particles will, will be drive too close to those plates. And they are start when they accumulate large enough, they will start to move between one plate to the other. So this is really like a self-assemble a process and a collective transport behavior allow those swarm of micro robots to f move from one place to the other. So you can imagine if you have a really, really tiny particle, they will not move because when they move halfway, they will just pull back under the next cycle. But if you assemble something large enough, so there's a critical local density or you need to assemble to a certain size to allow you to transport from one plate to the other. And we also have quantified, roughly quantified what is going on there, even though this is a really hard, complex process to understand. And this is also, we observe this behavior in nature because in the cells, when sometimes the cells transport a very large cargo, they don't use one kinesin protein motor, they use a couple of them. So it's like a lot of kinesin motor drag the same large cargo at the same time. So, and they find there's a collective behavior. If everyone drag at the same direction, then it's better than better force because you, you have less uh, fluidic drag to overcome. You have this hydrodynamic coupling behavior that allows everyone to walk at the same time. So this behavior is very similar to uh, this like a bike rider uh, in Olympics. So the, the, the other bike rider can hide uh, from each other so you can reduce uh, the wind drag because that is the they ride at a very high speed. In this case, the drag is also very uh, important. So when you uh, hold a line and walk next to each other, then you have a much higher chance to move to the next step. So this is also interesting uh, behavior that we did not expect before the experiment and we find it out. Uh, it's just a very interesting result. And uh, at the very end, we just to help other people understand what this could potentially use, we make a very uh, artificial system. This is not very realistic. We did not reuse the real blood. So we make some microfluidic channel using a PDMS, uh, or use an SU8 for PDMS microfluidic channel, very standard things. And we try to show this can be inserted into a small channel and then we turn on the global field and then you can see that there's a swarm of micro, uh, these particles of follow the guide with the artificial microtubule and gradually accumulated at the end. So uh, we, uh, we think uh, this kind of showing an idea in the target delivery. So basically the process is you, uh, first, of course, you use a microcatheter. And then uh, when you go to the area, which your microcatheter is a little bit too big, they cannot fit into the smaller vessel. Then you push through this kind of as a guide uh, needle or like a small microfiber. And then you pu push through with the help of magnetic field into the target vessel that you want to deliver your drug in. And then you turn on the magnetic field. The, the every drug will just follow the track on this artificial microchip and don't go to the target location without losing in the middle. 
And, th and this idea can really provide this precision delivery to the next uh, next step because um, they are using this method you can be more precise if I don't know what exactly in the realistic case the need for this, but let's say if you have a really small tumor, you want to kill it at a very early stage and the artery which feed this small tumor is super tiny, then this could help your way to guide the, the drug that into the target position and only harm the tumor, not the other branches of the blood vessel for the nice uh, vessel cells. And we think this technology really fit into, like what I show here in the slide number 13, the gap between the traditional medical catheter and the micro robots, because micro robots can move, but they cannot overcome some very strong flow, especially in the small artery. And for the medical catheter, they are very robust and very well developed, but they cannot be easily shrinking down to the micrometer scale. So this, we think this artificial microtubule can really bridge the gap that to continue the full coverage, let's say in the future of potential applications. And in that case, you can imagine uh, everyone will like nicely walk on artificial microtubule without get lost. So in, in another way, you can imagine using the fluoroscope, you don't have to uh, like worry that these things kind of lose track, they will be uh, washed away all the time. You don't really require the feedback signal from individual micro robot the position, but you can just rely on, it will roughly walk on the microtubule. And then I just use the image as feedback to showing, oh yeah, things walk nicely without worrying too much. It's, it's not like you have you heavily depend, depend on the feedback signal for control, but in this case, they will just walk as it is. So I guess I already spent quite some time explaining this. Uh, yeah, so if you're more interested, I think maybe we can also upload um, the, the paper if you have more interest in this. So now I think maybe Katerina, um, I can get back to you. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer all of them. Thank you so much for this amazing presentation and for explaining to us this uh, really interesting uh, technology and um, thank you so much yeah and I know that Armish he had a couple of questions already in the chat before so I wanted to give him an opportunity to ask right now hey Armish um, please perfect thank you Katrina I think some of my questions um, got answered uh, by Richard but uh, here is my doubt or sort of curiosity Perfect. Uh, what sort of uh, governing equation uh, describes or determine the flow at such a microtubule level uh, do we see parallels do we do we know that the hagen poisley equation describes the flow if not then are we relying just on the strong magnetic pull we would create and it would just suck in uh, the particles to the designated location uh and and then by th okay so my third last <laughs> part of the question is that would we have uh uh an animal trial at some point of time out of simulation how how, how close are we for a trial like that well this is an excellent question so uh yeah 
um, Amish, you you really like expert in the field. They are really like uh, you know you ask the perfect question. They they are really really good, and um, so I can understand. You already understand a lot, so I can explain more details. I guess so. I think the, the the reason we choose this Hagen for so uh, law to uh, to describe the flow because we are let's say in this case as you can see we are kind of looking at the vascular application. So if you think the vascular is a uh, uh, is the tubular shape, then yes, I would say they will be governed by the higgin person flow. But you're right, blood is not a Newtonian liquid, which means they are because they have blood vessel, sorry, blood cells into, into it. So they are not that easy, or you will be just a parabolic uh, profile inside uh, the blood vessel. They are definitely more complicated to that. I completely agree. And also certain cases, for example, people have this um, uh, also I'm, I'm not really expert in this medical application, but uh, some people say this uh, uh, this uh, uh, aneurysm they are driven by the, some local vertex in the flow. So, which means this vertex vertice flow, not just the, just linear or laminar flow, can be uh, in even in smaller vessels, which is true. But in the heart, of course, they are just keep pumping. They are definitely nothing close to this hypnobosome. But that's definitely not the area where we're looking for the potential application for that. But if you think of something really gets smaller and smaller, especially smaller than the one micrometer for the diameter of the vessel, then it will, I will say, more closer and closer to the Higgins-Poisson flow profile, to close to its parabolic profile. I guess that probably, hopefully, that answer your first question. Um, and the second one, your comment is, is, is uh, really, sorry, could you remind me what is that? Sorry, I literally forgot. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to understand, are we relying on the strong magnetic pull? Uh, yes, if, if, yes. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Sorry, I forgot. So in this case, we did not apply or use any magnetic field gradient. This is a very important point. So that's actually the key point for this. So um, we only apply a uniform magnetic field, which is much easier to apply. So I think you, if, because you already understand, if you it's like the two magnets interact with each other, if you have a very strong magnet, you can also drive any object, magnetic objects with the magnetic gradient field, right? And uh, one of the limitation is this, this mechanism scale very bad, so similar. So you can imagine uh, this is proportional to the local gradient, which means uh, as a micro robot, let's say, I know I will move to the position which has a stronger magnetic, uh, a stronger magnetic field, right? If I'm like, I'm free floating. So then that really requires the local gradient field. So if as a micro robot, which is, let's say about a few, a, a hundreds of micrometer in size or tens of micrometer in size, the field they feel is very small difference. So you need a very, very high local gradient. That's almost impossible in this case, especially if you think of application. Of course, if you're close to the gigantic uh, permanent magnet, the surface have very strong gradient. But uh, if you put in the brain, so like if you uh, for brain or any potential medical application in the human body, uh, you cannot, let's say, get too close because they're inside the body, right? So it's not cannot that close to a permanent magnet. So that's also limited potential to use the gradient field to drive this. So instead, in this case, on the micro, artificial microtubule, you see this small, small, small magnets. So this nickel has a very strong gradient locally because they are really, really small. So from the size-wise, this anchoring effect, so you can use as a stepping stone to move forward is pretty strong. So if, let's say, uh, our, in our case, at least with water, it's just, when apply a very fast speed, we've never observed this. So, you know, they always anchor on the move perfectly in a way. So we also definitely, of course, our blood is thicker than water. Uh, we did not really, to be honest, we did not really provide, uh, 
um, perform any blood-related experiments, but uh, we expect it will work in a similar way, yeah. And the last question for any animal trial, that's a perfect question. Um, that's, uh, we haven't achieved anything like that yet. So I think it will be possible, but uh, the, the devices also need to optimize a little bit. Right now, there are, um, I think we need a little bit coding on the surfaces for uh, for the mechanically more robust. So it's kind of working now, but sometimes if you pull this too much, they can break as well. So I think that there's something we need to improve uh, on these devices. And uh, another thing is we also, need to think um, what kind of the really the target application for this because sometimes uh, if you have a large tumor you know you don't need this small device to uh, deliver the drug into the tumor you can just uh, use standard catheter uh, but but I, I'm, I'm also trying to work with other collaborators to seeking opportunities for potential some cases which come on to deliver drug into very small vessels then maybe we can consider more realistic animal studies for such applications. Awesome, Richard. Best wishes. Just last point. I think uh, it's more of a point. Uh, if you really know where this application is going to be, I think that would help you design the product better because let's say if it's going to get delivered under anesthesia, so mm -hmm. the whole blood vessels, the shape of a normal human body is in a certain shape, right? Mm. Rather than, yeah. and so, yeah. So I am just thinking about how the external force is going to, uh, interact with this tubule at a different condition. But if you're really specific, that, okay, this is going to get delivered under anesthesia. So we know how regular human bodies. Ah. Yeah. So so that's that's basically the area where we can do some simulation. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a fantastic suggestion. Thank you so much, Amish. Yeah, thank you so much for those questions and for answering those. Um, uh, Dr. Shah, Dennis, Joyce, Maya, did you have a question? Please flash your microphones and, and go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much, Richard, for sharing such a wonderful work with us. So my question is about the, I mean, um, uh, kind of a structure of the swimmers and the possibility of, uh, I mean, formation of the microtubular aggregates. And in the same time, when we are thinking about the delivery of the nanoparticles, I, we know that the nanoparticles have a different, I mean, feature, and some of them uh, even more has a potential of self-assembly and uh, causing aggregation somehow. This is one point. And another part that uh, I was just wondering about the immune cell, which, uh, which you know that when we are talking about the blood vessel and Plasma is a site for the maturation of the immune cells. And somehow it is very important we are using what zone for maturation. And uh, that's why it's a matter of the delivery of the particles or whatever. I was just wondering to know your opinion around this idea. I, I think that's also a fantastic question. Um, so uh, regarding um, regarding the uh, aggregates, I think that's totally correct. So I think there are many magnetic uh, nanoparticle or something very powerful. So uh, we because uh, as I said, like usually for many, let's say what people imagine the application for this uh, uh, micro robots, then you need to carry both drug and magnetic material on it. So uh, what we use, the, for example, the one you see this uh, composite nano 
composite microparticle actually. They have a very small amount of magnetic nanoparticle inside, even though they use iron oxide, which is pretty strong, but uh, they're not like the whole volume is. It's like, I think probably just very few of them, the magnet magnetic is pretty weak. So the reason why they can also walk on it is because the artificial microtubule provide a very strong interaction with them. So the magnetic of the artificial microtubule is strong. Even though we are not really optimizing it, where you just use this electroplated um, nickel, which is definitely more room. Let's say you can use a nickel cobalt to improve the magnetic property for this artificial artificial microtubule. Uh, so there's room to improve for that as well. And as you said, this aggregates is totally. We also try with this. Uh, I think some other. I think for the magnetic aggregates, there usually depends on their geometry and also their magnetic property. So. Um, so I think um, I I don't know what kind of magnetic nanoparticle you you are talking about or you have in mind, uh, but uh, definitely if you use pure iron oxide nanoparticle, for example, they are really small. The aggregate looks quite different. So I think I did some experiments, and sometimes they because they also at nanoscale the the surface property for those nanoparticles is very important. And I, I I can't say for many cases, but I think I remember they kind of self assemble into like a a blob of like a rod shape, which I'm, I'm not even sure why, and they kind of can walk on it. And uh, it's not like, all, and they also have a different type of uh, assembly. And the reason why we choose this specific uh, microparticle is because also uh, there's no, let's say there are particle-particle coupling between them because that would make the, uh, the prediction or the assembly much harder to predict and uh, to have overall view of what is going on there. For example, we also try with the neodymium ion borer microparticle, which is similar size as we show it here. And because neodymium ion borer has a high coercivity, so they have a, they, they kind of, you know, each magnetic particle have their, their magnetization, have their own preferred or already pre-magnetized direction. So they just form their own direction. They don't really uh, form this nice, uh, similar size uh, blob of particle to move forward, rather than they can become a huge blob and sometimes they just a field. So they're highly regular. So I guess in the, the case we want to show the small locomotion, uh, we just show this because they are nicely, you can totally see have effective area and they are assembled roughly similar size of blobs dependent of course depend on local uh, density but they are moving uh, quite nicely uh, yeah so that's sorry could you repeat your second question yeah i mean for that example as you just mentioned we can just get yeah. the amphiphilic molecules for example and we can just think about the branch type of that the second question was about the maturation of the oh the immune cell, cell. yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I don't know much, sorry, uh, about that, but you are right. I think at least for the macrophages or some other uh, immune cell, we will definitely respond to this foreign particle. So I, I will not be surprised if you just say, if you place there for a while, they will, less, uh, or they could encounter some kind of macrophage there and the microphage trying to eat it up with this uh, micro, uh, with, the, uh, with the magnetic particle on, the artificial microtubule, let's say, well, you are transporting it. But I think there are some interesting works um, from, not from our group, but from other groups, they they actually try to to modify these microphages through the magnetic, part, magnetic particle, because once they just take it in, right, they decorate the surface with something, when they take it in, then this microphages is getting responsive to magnetic field, and they want to drive it to do something, let's say, to treat, I think, um, yeah, treat some like brain tumor, for example. And uh, 
uh, and I think that's also maybe potentially interesting because I'm pretty sure if you give the microphages enough material, it will walk on this microtubule for sure. Because this is like also, it's just anything close by magnetic, they will get attracted on it and just walk along it. Thank you so much. This is also a wonderful question. Shall I ask a quick question? Oh, please. Go, go for it, Joyce. Okay, well, I'm afraid I missed quite a bit of it, but um, so I'll just ask kind of a general question. Um, what is your, um, your wildest hope as to what uh, diseases it might be used in? Thanks, I'm done. Wow, that's a, that's a really difficult question, uh, Joyce. Um, I think, I don't know. I think I'm still in an exploration stage. It's very hard to, to guess. So uh, as, as I think, as you can see, um, this, I think they're mostly, we do this work because of fundamental interest, but uh, the artificial microtubule can provide a way uh, either to somewhere which is very hard to access before or some drug which have a very bad side effect. So I think, for example, if you, I just imagine it, if you have, a, let's say, a micro stroke, like those blood, uh, brain blood vessels so tiny that the traditional method cannot go into it, then, for example, I think there's a well-known TPA as a, uh, as a drug to dissolve this local uh, blood clots in the stroke case, stroke cases, uh, because they also have a very strong side effect. So of course, you just want to release in the where the stroke happens. And, uh, and I think in that case, if you have a micro stroke in a small area, then maybe this can be as a application case they can deliver or um, somewhere, I, I think also see a case which they also use a very small micro catheter because in the blood vessels to supply the eyes also very, very tiny. So they also make a very, very tiny specific micro catheter to deliver this drug into the eye, um, the, the artery which supply the blood to the eye, right? So if you release it there, the drug is not going anywhere else, but they just follow the bloodstream and uh, just uh, go to the eye area. They will not have side effect to many other places. So I would say they will not, I would not see a very, um, widespread, let's say, they can be used for many. They are not really trying to solve anything existing uh, method. They are more like a futuristic that we want to deliver something very uh, small vessels or, uh, or you know, a release a drug which is a very strong side effect. You just want to go there, not any, not anywhere else. So I think that could be the most potential to have a breakthrough, I guess. Sorry, I'm really not on the education side. This okay, my best that's guess. all right. <laughs> uh, that was a very good answer. Very interesting and very exciting developments. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joyce. Thank you, Richard, for this amazing presentation. I was very uh, intrigued by this visual of the um, fluoroscope and the x-ray on the C-arm. Wow, uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that's a very cool visualization. I've never seen it like this. We have had some other um, presenters on nanobots and this sort of technology. And I was curious about the durability of either uh, the microtubules or the nanobots that you've looked at and the degradation of um, the, this type of technology, like the time scale of when it becomes no longer a viable machine 
So you're talking about like the whole life cycle for these nanobots, right? Yeah. Or okay, maybe per okay. maybe per uh, per microtubule, right? Like so, you got the different microtubules. You're gonna insert them at different times into the body, right? So, like, yeah. How long does one microtubule last? Where it'll allow the you know the walking on the, the through through the like electric magnetic function. Okay, so I would say the microtubule. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll consider this both part from uh, the microtubule. They are highly repeatable. So you, it's not like. Uh, so the issue with it is this magnetic material may get gradually oxidized, but the speed is really, really slow in water or in the air. So at least what for me, I, you, I've been using one microtubule because I kind of glue it on the chip so I can just you know perform something easily. Uh, it's been a couple months and I don't see obvious a very significant uh, you know, performance decay, something like that. So I would say for many stable magnetic material, or you can do a surface coating to prevent the potential oxidation, then it can last for pretty long. Of course, mechanical wise, they are also could be brittle. So we are also thinking maybe do a little bit coating like this optic uh, fiber. So if your cold surface with something elastic, then they will, even though you have cracks, they will not propagate and you, you know, they will not break or anything. They will, you can easily retract it back. So I would say the microtubule should have expect similar as this standard medical catheter or potentially can be something like that. Um, and as you can see, after this delivery or imagine treatment, then we just retract it back, so they will, we will not leave it there. So we don't, they don't have to be biodegradable. Um, and in terms of nanobots, definitely there. Are, if you think you deliver a swarm of them and leave it there, definitely the whole life cycle becomes super important because they will need to be biodegradable over time. And I think, uh, which is the, I think the there are many people use iron oxide, but I think the iron oxide is very small. I think like a, a, a about five to 10 nanometer size. So they're not uh, a lot. So it's, it's, and also if you can make it like iron, they're also potentially biodegradable, but um, the, this, the particle, not just the material, the format, this particle size also plays an important role here because if you have something smaller than a five micro, five nanometer, uh, you can, uh, um, you know, they can pass through the kidney and they, they can be accumulated in the urine. So you can easily get rid of the body. But if they get really large size, then I guess in the end, they will, uh, they will be degraded by, I guess, microphages, something they're going to eat and then gradually to degrade it. But that is not a very ideal path. So I think people are still working on that. At least you cannot just administer, uh, put a lot of, such microparticles into the human body and expect they will be, be all be fine. I think there will be a, a maximum uh, a load that that will be the safe load allowed to put on it. So that's why we think, for example, uh, this nickel rod that we show in the paper, it may be not very ideal for drug delivery because they are full of metal, right? Uh, but in certain cases, uh, it depends. Some people, sometimes the treatment want to be uh, you want to block, let's say, a cancer cell, like you block the vessel, the, the blood supply to a certain tumor, then, you know, that will be fine. Like as long as the resurface cause something to protect it, and then it can stop the blood flow and then the tumor will gradually shrink. That could be this kind of, um, to trigger the thrombosis, I think it will be something potentially useful. But for the others, which like say, I think they're more, maybe more pro promising that we show later with a small composite, poly mostly polymer, uh, particles, which they only have a few nanoparticles inside, but the most of the body, we can use, let's say, that biodegradable hydrogel as the main particle material, and we can just load drug into it. That will be, let's say, more 
uh, more promising, but of course, then that's slightly weak. So that's why we need to help with the microtubule. Along the same line, Richard, thank you for the presentation. Thank you. Along the same line, so you're thinking, imagine that it, it is reusable and recyclable, and you can recover it just as easy as when you deliver it. So my question is regarding to the cargo. Mm. So the cargo size varies, right? So you can have a smaller cargo, a big cargo depends on the purpose. Exactly. So if you want to deliver to a larger area. So what makes you think, what makes you, so sorry, recheck. What would be a good location, localization, specific specification um, uh, cargo you can you need to carry on, co-localize, right? Because your drug, and then you need to be delivering. What kind of things are you thinking with? Uh, let me put it in. Hold up just a second. Mm -hmm. You know how, like, if you want to deliver to the brain, yeah. let's say, you, have, you said you, you mentioned a stroke. So you want a specific region, basal region of the brain, brain stem. Mm -hmm. So are there any ready target molecules or cues you already tested? Um, coupled we did with not, your microtubule? Not really tested okay. any, uh, any, yeah, this now okay. they're still uh, not really drug tested yet. But I think you're right. I think one thing at least the field right now is considering is, is this TPA. I'm not really a drug person, but I, what, what I heard, what I have very little knowledge on that, but what I heard that this, this is a drug is a, it's a very effective drug when people have stroke. So if you deliver an, or if you just in, uh, inject into the bloodstream, then they will can dissolve many uh, thrombosis in the, or the, the, you know, the blood clots that block the vessel. So they can really uh, very effective to treat the stroke. But the reason why the doctor don't use it much because they have a very strong side effect, they're completing elsewhere. So that's kind of like a you know double double uh, edge sword. So you can you it's not like a, a safe drug to use. So many doctors really concerns a lot when they they're using it. So some cases they think the risk is higher than the benefit. They just don't use it. So, but if you think of you can deliver locally, these things could change, right? Because you just give the area which had the blood uh, blood clots or the thrombosis, and then you can dissolve locally. Then you can have much higher confidence to use a slightly higher amount, right? Then that give you advantage for this target or very localized drug delivery. So I think that could be, uh, at least from the story point of view, it make a lot of sense to do this. That's, uh, but I have a very limited knowledge on that. All right, can I jump in and ask a couple questions? Oh, absolutely. All right, well, thank you for this presentation, doctor. And uh, this is fascinating stuff, right? So. I get a, just want to get a couple little quick clarification. I just, cause I just jumped in in the kind of like latter part and I've been looking at the PDF here. Mm -hmm. So on, I guess, slide number, where's that at? Um, let me find it. I'm looking on my little phone here. Okay. okay. Cause it seems like, okay, it goes, I get it. It goes through the tube, mm -hmm. right? It goes through the tube and then it's going to get to the uh, little magnetic delivery function, yes. right? So does it, does it do the delivery? What I'm trying to understand, where is that slide? Let me see. What I'm trying to understand, I guess, is, um, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, it's the second to last slide, yes. I guess, number 13. Exactly. The it says medical catheter to AMT to microbot, yeah. right? Does that mean, so I see the, uh, so the t so the medical uh, um, catheter is the medical catheter, and then is that, that micro, the, the, the magnetic, 
railway that it moves down, yes. right? That the cargo moves down. Is that all the way back to the beginning where it's inserted, or is that like the uh, cargo goes floating down a tube and then it then the the track is towards the end and then they all line up on the track and go down, or is that that track that magnetic track all the way back to the very beginning? Um, they uh, of the catheter. Yeah, so the track should be connected to the catheter because the track uh, is like a fiber. So the way we implement this, I think uh, they should go through this uh, uh, micro catheter because you know we already well already known that this catheter or uh, let's say the smallest catheter we can buy available on the market, they can already work really well, right? So there are a lot of doctors have experience with it. So the question is about how you can go deeper into the microvascular structure. Can you be more precise? In inserting need exactly and that's yeah. how let's say you can just push through like a really small very thin fiber uh, this artificial microtubule through this microcatheter and then you start to rotate the magnetic field and then any magnetic drop let's say close to the trail will just walk on it and then just robustly follow the lead of the, this track and into this target position and then when you go to the target position maybe uh let's say really really tiny vessel then the, the the flow is almost negligible or really, really uh, flow, low speed, and then the drug can release it there and maybe can finish the maybe a last few minutes. And, and to be honest, I think maybe you can just randomly release it, that's also be fine. That's, I guess. Yeah. So it, it looks like, it's, so I guess my question is is that track running the full length of the catheter, or is it just at the end where, you know, like the, 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 the cargo goes down and then they jump on the track and it's almost like a little tongue or you just stick it out. You yeah, know, you get to exactly. the, you push the tube as far as you can go and then you, then you like, it's almost like a little tongue or, or, or a little I, uh, I will butterfly. Imagine then, that then this sticks out. I will imagine that way. So, yeah. for, but for the, for the real application, you, this, uh, this town, as you said, like this artificial microtubule, they will be connected to, I don't know, let's say we can make a wire on the back, let's say metallic wire or nitinal wire, uh, which is, we know, very stable and uh, uh, stiff and then they also sorry they also flexible can follow the, the trajectory but uh, we don't have to make all the way back let's say uh, let's say two meter long artificial microtubule right that could be uh, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel exactly yeah you don't need to, you just need to get the cargo down to the end and then you just need a little small space so then the next my, I have hold a, on, hold on, let me let me Amish can I finish let me let me go over this hold on a second right so then um Okay, so then the next, uh, so I understand that. Then the next question I have is around power consumption. Is that, so the battery, the, the magnetic um, uh, movement down, you're doing that with, a, I guess, an external source Absolutely. to charge it up and push it down? Right? Yeah. And then what's the, what's, the, what's the power needs? Is it low power? or higher power? Like what's power power needs for this? Um, it's, uh, this is a perfect good question. The power, it depends on what kind of magnetic system you use. For example, if you use the one, I think I draw there for uh, maybe the slide number three, do you use a robotic arm to hold a magnet at the, at the end? And then your power will be the robotic arm, whatever you, you consume to rotate yeah. the magnet. But in other cases, for example, use electromagnetic system, which means you pump a lot of current into the coils to drive this, and that's much higher power, let's say for in the medical or clinical setup, that could be a kilowatts or even higher. I think, I think we use 40 kilowatts, something like that. It's pretty high, but the advantage for such systems, yeah, you can, yeah, you can just turn, out, turn off the field, which is much, let's say, much safer than the robotic arm in a clinical environment, because those magnets, they're 
they're pretty strong, but not as dangerous as the MRI magnet. The sink will get you know attracted to it, and I don't know how that will work out in a clinical setup. But uh, there are different; they are different system, and then different have advantages. Uh, you know, they all have their advantages and disadvantages. Uh, yeah, but they are not like insanely high power. So I think in a clinical setup, those kind of power should be acceptable level in a way. Okay, so the next question I have is that length, the. Uh, um... What is the, that little track they're moving down, right? The little magnetic track. Yeah. What is the d- dimensions of just that track? Like, you know, like in millimeters, let's say like one, one thousands or like what's, what's, or one, one hundreds. I don't so know. What's the, uh, what is. Uh, they're exactly roughly the size of the hair. So they are 50 micrometer in width and I think uh, 80 micrometer in height. So they are roughly like the hair, but they can be, I think our sample made, let's say three or two, two or three centimeter long. So the length is very long, but uh, they're the width and height is very, very thin. So they are exactly like a hair. So, so the, width, okay, the width and height is exactly like a hair, including the uh, cargo uh, floating on, you know, moving on top of it or not including the cargo? No, not including the cargo. But the cargo is roughly okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Okay, this is fascinating stuff. Okay, let me tell you why. Right? Wow. This is really cool stuff you got. Right? It's not just for medical, bro. Okay, you could probably, okay, but this is, I've been looking around and trying to find stuff for a while. I'd like to talk to you about using, utilizing this technology in the augmented reality world, wow. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, not not in, not necessarily through the body, but externally, not not inside the body, right? So because, all right, so here, um, I don't mind mentioning it. This needs to come out to the world, and hopefully, and it needs to be open source. This piece of information has to be open source, parts, right? With, because in the augmented reality world, needs to be this piece is what unlocks the whole augmented reality world. Okay, right now in AR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, imagine you have AR glasses on, right? Mm. And by the way, there's a lot better stuff than 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 Apple and other guys' stuff. Uh, let me give you some links to look at, and then we can talk later. So if you look at immacula.io, E-M-A-C-U-L-A.io, immacula.io, you'll see the they, they have what I believe to be the, uh, r- the lead in um, AR uh, holographic uh, mm-hmm, display mm-hmm. technology, which is the uh, lens and uh, filter. So they have a little two-minute, three-minute video. So that's Immacula, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So I know the CEO over there is my friend, right? And then um, there's also uh, two other platforms that can, you know, potentially be in, we're talking about integrating, which is uh, um, uh, SensoryX.com. That's 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 the, the 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 CEO there, Dr. Ralph, is a friend of mine. That's who we want to get on a call with um, on on figuring out your tech and his stuff. So he's got glove technology for the augmented reality world, and he's got sensors on it. So yeah, SensoryX.com. Mm-hmm. And he got the best gloves for the AR world, right? Wow. And the last one's going to be that you want to look at is, yeah, exactly, badass stuff, right? Virtu- Virtuix, uh, and I'm, I'm invested into Virtuix, um, is another friend of mine that actually developed locomotion in the AR VR world. So that's the Virtuix Omni. And so if you went and looked in YouTube, Virtuix Omni, you know, it's freaking mind-blowing cool stuff. Same thing with Sensory X, right? Uh-huh. Now, I mentioned this because here's, here's the deal, right? If you got your glasses on and you have a hologram in front of you, let's say you're, you know, you're you're standing and then you have a hologram of a door right in front of mm-hmm. you. The door has a doorknob on it. Okay, you go with your gloves, right, to go reach in and turn the door. Right, you're gonna grab the door handle. It's a knob, and you're gonna twist it, rotate it, right, to open it. Now the problem in the AR world right now that exists is to create the resistance. If you go grab it right now, it's just like 
you know, it's okay. Are you around it? Your fingers can kind of go through it. It's not, it's not, it's not fluid. Right. And it's not like you don't have any resistance. You don't feel like it's a doorknob because there's no resistance back to stop your hands from squeezing in your fingers from squeezing in. Yeah. So AR needs to take the physics of the real world of basically creating joint locking the joints. Okay. To mimic, to mimic resistance in the real world into the AR world. All right. Yeah. And in order to do that, what I had, you know, what I thought about was utilizing, um, I was like, okay, you gotta got have a polymer. So imagine a glove and then there's like a thin layer all around the external part of the glove. In there, you have uh, uh, running, let's just use one finger at a time, it's be easier, right? So you got your index finger and let's say the inside of the finger where the palm is and you have a strip, right? A strip running from the top of the finger down to the bottom of the finger. You got three joints there, okay? Mm -hmm. If you had a strip there on the, the, the bottom side and top side, and you had a polymer in there that you can adjust the viscosity level from stiffness to you know soft or liquid, right, at different varying degrees, at let's say every like uh, two millimeter point even, or three millimeter point, or every millimeter point, like a little sack, you can adjust the viscosity level. A polymer that can be electro like electronically charged, right? Mm -hmm um to to do that but you could do electromagnetics right so when i looked into this the solution that we kind of we're all playing around with is ferromagnetic fluids because hmm. then you can have the magnetic charge at the top and bottom and then create the you know various viscosity levels yeah. right but then i'm so i'm looking at yours and it's very similar stuff right if you're able to kind of control the magnetic field and you're I'm, i imagine the cargo as you're moving it down and that's a very interesting way you're doing it so when i was looking at that i was like okay that's efficient because then you could still use that where they where and have just one you, you basically created instead of having two strips where you need a strip at the bottom and a strip at the top and a magnetic you know uh you know you activate positive negative top and bottom to move stuff through mm -hmm. you just do you're, you're doing i see how you're doing it it's, it's it's very clever so it's it's more efficient right to where and you're and it's less space too right so the the cargo is moving along there right now in the catheter though right think of the catheter uh, uh, format, right? Mm -hmm. In that catheter, if you had a, um, you know, you had that, that, that bottom layer tube, and then you had the ferromagnetic fluid, and it basically just charges up and creates stiffness. And you can direct that to specific points on, on, in the, on the, on the finger, you know, through a bunch of, and I don't know exactly how it would be done, you know, rather than having a bunch of little wires going all the way down every millimeter, It'd be nice if you can basically activate somehow on the track. Like, let's just activate, you know, if, it's, if the track has 100 points on there, mm -hmm. right? Position one, two, three, four, five. If you can, from the uh, from some other point, activate just, you know, let's activate um, sections, you know, 25 to 30 to be stiff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 20, uh, uh, 35 to 45 to be medium, right? Mm -hmm, and if you mm -hmm. could do that, now we have basically cracked the biggest problem in AR right now, right? And doing it now. The issue with utilizing ferromagnetic fluids, yeah, is and this 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 approach is the power consumption that would be required to basically have that much, because um, uh, you have the whole body, right, and or at least the gloves, right? The gloves on the front yeah, and back side to basically power, start. Exactly right. So bringing that, like, what would bringing that power down, right? But even then, gamers and. And, and I mean, the medical professionals, doctors, the use for this is so vast that even if there's higher power consumption uh, in the beginning, that's okay. People will still jump on this, right? 
um, and then maybe over time you can get more efficient. Or I think you right? mentioned a like very would be... interesting uh, question. I, I think uh, I think I uh, if I understand correctly, you are talking about the stiff, uh, variable stiffness control. Basically, some people use different you know material, and you're considering using Ferrofluid as a variable stiffness control. There actually is a good idea because there's that's how the car damper, many of damper because you know the magnetic alignment can drastically change the viscosity. You know they can give you this kind of resistance as you want. I think it's quite, you know, it's uh, not a bad idea for this AR, uh, let's say, gloves to give you this, um, you know, the right touch or the sensation. I think it's, uh, it's right. But as you said, like, um, I think there are two, uh, you probably two issues with it. But one, as you already mentioned, the power is not, uh, not going to be small, right? So you need a lot of coils probably or other method to drive it. And the other is... The magnetically, uh, sometimes it can be local, but for our case, you can see they are kind of global magnetic field because you, it's not like uh, the other actuator magnetic. If you turn on the global field, everyone will suffer, you know, it's kind of, you know, uh, breathe in or emerge in this magnetic field. Everyone will be, and, uh, everyone will feel the same. It's not like I just turn on, you, 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 you feel the field and the, the other place don't. So that's not, uh, I think that's just not really the magnetic system works. So they have to, usually uh, in our case, you have a, always a, generating a large magnetic field in the workspace and then everything will govern by the magnetic interaction inside a system. So I think, uh, I think what you're looking at should be something not because if you have an AR assumption, you will not, you know, you really want to need a large magnetic setup to drive this, which will be acceptable in the clinical setup. But for this kind of, I think, consumer electronics, it should be something, I don't know, like uh, then you need, as you said, you need to think of, uh, I don't know, how this be some local interactions between the mag your ferrofluid and what kind of the magnetic interaction, the strong, strongly magnetic uh, component other than the ferrofluid inside the gloves. And then they will give you the strong interaction which can provide this your this touch or the, the drag as your, is that something you're considering? Yeah, yeah, so, you know, you, you we're going down the right track yeah. there, right? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, so the Yeah, so the, so, 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 it, like with, but with the, with this application, I, I understand that you guys are using the external source because you're inside, right? But if you're already external, if you're already outside, right? You can um, you you can charge, like having an external third uh, apparatus to charge the track would not be ideal. It'd have to be somehow charged through the track itself, right? Like you can go in and track, you know. That will be point. amazing. I think you are talking about something that will be really cool because if that can be realized, as you yeah. said, you don't need external setup. That would be great. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So let's do this, okay? Right, if you want. Uh, like follow me, and then I'll send. I sent you a message, I think, right? Absolutely. And then if you have WhatsApp, I can, I could, I could, we could jump on a call. I'll get, I'll get Rolf on the phone, the CEO of the Sensory X, because like we're already working on this stuff. And then um, we could jump on and just brainstorm and see if there's a, a opportunity here to basically um, utilize your tech approach, the approach you're doing, you know, with little modifications for the. Uh, with AR gloves. I think we, we were thinking, you know, not the AR glove, but we were thinking solving something like you mentioned, you know, can we, uh, how, uh, you know, because right now the magnetic interaction, as you said, driven by the external setup and they are, let's say they will be pretty expensive. They will not be something really cheap, uh, but can we use something, let's say locally to switch the magnetization? I think they are at an nanometer scale. So you can use it like current to swap the magnetization, nanomagnets yes, 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 exactly. by spin orbit coupling. Exactly. That exists there. But 
they're not able to scale up because they are, you know, I'm talking about, you know, a few nanometer scale, like a hundred nanometer. But, you know, let's say this medical setup or many of the applications, let's say the gloves increasing, they're much larger. And then that is something a little bit missing in the, in, in the range. And I think the existing or the technology will be used coils. And the coils, I can imagine, they're large, they're heavy, they, are, they have disadvantages. So that's also people looking into, I think, how we can couple magnetic and electric material and the massive scale or something for various kind of application to provide the feedback. I think maybe you, you should look into, I think there's a, a quite interesting paper by John Rogers. They use this vibration provide a sense of touch with a different tuning frequency by John Rogers uh, using the very small permanent magnet and the coils. And uh, and then they can provide this, uh, as you said, this is sensory feedback, but not the ferrofluid or the resistance, but the other type of sensory feedback, like the touch feedback, using a high vibrating signal to mimic or to simulate how we feel from the surface. If that's something you'll be interested, but absolutely, you know, I will be if I follow following question, I'm ever happy to discuss with you for any brainstorming. Yeah, if you are interested in this, yeah, topic, yeah. You know. So I so I think let me see let me double check I think I sent you a message there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll do it right now. So I'm so if you just kind of send me your number and then we could jump on a I'll, I'll do a little WhatsApp group with the CEO and then we could j- jump on a you know find a little time there because this will be a fun it'll just be a fun call absolutely, again. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think we also missed yeah. one of the Amish questions previously. Yeah. Okay. No, that's okay. So, but Richard, uh, my question was when Meyer was asking, right? So, how this track's gonna? What would be the initial starting point of this track? And you, you said that okay, there would be the point where the microcathedral ends. Mm-hmm. From there, you're gonna, right? So, I think there are a couple of design issue with that because in that case, you're gonna be driving or guiding or controlling that magnetic track via cathedral but not directly but if you have that track going really up to the beginning of where you insert it you would have the direct control of that track so that would actually increase your problem it's like controlling another pipe with a different pipe mm-hmm. so uh, i just want to sh- put this out that's that's if uh, if the track somehow you might have to create a different cathedral slot itself which can accommodate this uh, track and go up to the places where the cathedral can go and then from there it extends because it's all about guiding and navigating that thing how you are uh, how are you going to do that because putting the fluid through the track is one problem but guiding that is also another problem mm-hmm. yeah so that's just my two cents and that's where i was trying to come in and say okay i think that's that's a problematic decision. i i completely agree i think you're really pointing uh this like uh, if you consider as you said like this process so gui- the guidance with the catheter and the guidance with this uh this track they're both is a problem and uh uh but but there are kind of like the other aspect in this application that people are looking for how to this guide why you there are some already established the guide why even magnetically guided catheter so the catheter they also sometimes they have this pull wire you can just pull and the tip just tilt and then you can use or multiple tools for this uh interventional surgery so i think uh, of course, with their magnetic ones, maybe it was slightly easier for doctor to operate it. But even though that's a st- uh, I think a state of the art, they're using this guide wire, op- you know, repeatedly 
uh, swapping the guideware and the catheter to go to the right position, sorry, the right location. And that's, that's kind of the, yeah, that's how I think the standard practice for interventional surgery. And I think you also mentioned another important aspect is how this interaction between this, uh, uh, this fiber, this track, this fiber and this catheter, right? And I think there also could be some opportunities there. I would say if they really find some interesting application uh, for a specific uh, location we just want to go, and you know we can even customize the catheter for that, and the microtubule can even be part of the catheter. Like they can be merging to one object if that is a good idea. But I just I don't really know. So this really depends on the application case. I would say. Yep. Yep. But thank you so much for these comments. Yeah, thank you so much for this amazing discussion and that we got maybe a collaboration going on for yeah, the future. Yeah, sounds really, really, really stimulating. Actually, really? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll ask him. I'll, I'll ask uh, Dr. Rolfe and see how how willing he is to come on Clubhouse to talk about Sensory X and 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 your tech. Like, if we had a joint session, right, with you and uh, Dr. Rolfe, right. Um, mm -hmm that would be pretty interesting right like and and, and he's you know i mean he, he's, he's he's already commercialized and in there and like oh got all types of ip and whatever but this piece here i think it'd be kind of nice to uh to jump in and and and, and like brainstorm about it in, in the room um or or at least or, or we could start on the call to see what you know set that call up but this is uh i just want to like i'm just I'm telling you, man, I'm super excited because this guy is a genius, man. Like what he's done over there and the speed at which he moves and he just didn't do the gloves. He did this external sensors. He's creating so much stuff in the, in the AR world at blazing. It, like this dude will come up with a prototype a, with hardware in like a week, you know, in a few days. It's incredible what, 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 what his capabilities are over there. Um, I know he's in Europe. I think it's in, he's in Switzerland. Um, but um because Richard, he's in Konstanz, Germany, so it's right next door. Yeah, right next so. door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so I, I, if you need help setting things up, um, or you know, absolutely, uh, yeah. for Clubhouse, but sure, yeah. sure, I'll, I'll ask him. I'll ask him if he'll come on here. I don't know that you know he's a little shy, right? But I'll see if he can. If he can, uh, uh, I think he will. I think he'll come on, right? I can convince him to come on, right? So um, that, that that would be that, yeah. We can talk about it, set it up. It'll be kind of fun, you know. Sure. So that's. Yep, yep. I'm always happy when there are collaborations starting and projects yeah, starting. Yeah, yeah, also uh, welcome. Yeah, definitely. No, no, I'm, I mean, this, look, this thing is like the biggest thing in AR, like the cracking this problem, right? Would This is what's needed to unlock the AR world right now. Yeah, you know? I agree. To it's like really challenging for this haptic feedback, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not and see everybody calls it haptic feedback, but it's not haptic feedback. Oh. It's resistance, right? It's a yeah. different. It's a different thing because it like okay, for example, right? There's this um actually there's another company called Haptics H A P T I X right Haptics. They created this glove. They got like twenty million in funding and all this cool shit and whatever. But you know what? When you go put it on, mm -hmm. it has sixteen tubes coming into the glove. It has an air compressor outside. Okay, I all see. Right? I and see. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's like. 
I put it on. It's like, feel this. It feels like a, like a little, you're looking at a spider and it feels like it's, it's walking on your hand. I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, right. But it's not, it's like, this is not going to work, dude. Nobody's going to walk. Like people want to walk around externally in the world, in the AR uh, uh, world, just walk around and have their gloves on and have their AR uh, glasses on. Right. And, um, and the little headpiece and, and interact. They don't want to have some lugging behind them, a air compressor for their clothes and the same thing with the with the with the glasses and you know like you know whether it's microsoft or all the other guys right now they get you got to put a big old box on your head right that's just not going to work that's not going to be the winning product so immacula has the the, the the winning um uh glass tech and and, and they already did like a four million dollar deal with darpa now they're already uh, they're going through fda approval right now um for the for the contact lens tech because it's also for medical use, and these things have a crazy. Like um, Steve Wiley is the CEO there. I talked to him. One of the things that when I when I had a session with him that he he disclosed to me was they have thirty. They have they have they have thirty x zoom. I mean, imagine being able to walk around, dude, and like look at something and have thirty x zoom. That's crazy. That's insane. That's what that that's what exists right now, right? Wow. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, also for prosthetics, it would be really cool because really good prosthetics should have a really good sensory feedback, uh, which can actually even help patients getting in uh, mobility and sensory input over um, their actual body, like um, Miguel Nicolelis and show, showed this. So mm -hmm. the better that would also work for like prosthetics, that would be also amazing also for recovery. Um, so, yeah. yeah, you're right. I yeah. think this is a force or the resistant generation or there's a force generation for the haptic feedback. If something can be done very well, that's really like a, they're really like a game changing exactly not just for like AR, there can be many, many applications out there actually. Yeah, for example, in the medical use, like you could even like work out your muscles or something. If you have a full suit on all over the place and it's got these little areas that you could add resistance, so you could basically stiffen an area and release it, stiffen it, kind of creating a pulsing movement, right? Yeah. If you need to, like, you know, I mean, I mean, technically speaking, I mean, we could probably replace the straight jacket with this thing, right? I mean, you know, somebody acts up, good, they get locked up. You know, you're in a fight, hit the button, you can't move anymore. You know, to solve the problem. Yeah, that's in, really in like prison. Science fiction, you know what I'm saying? Science fiction come true, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is kind of what I do, man. My thing is, I'm I'm like I'm I'm, a, I'm a, I float at the thirty thousand foot level and come down to like the ten thousand foot level and the technology. I kind of translate between the technologists and everybody else, right? You know. Yeah, but but so I think I you get like... at least one thing. I I think this is a, a your, your direction is totally right. I think the magnetic could have some advantage at the small scale, like um, especially you can control with electronic wire somehow. That's this there there's certain advantage. Let's say it's like when we play two magnet, their interaction very strong. So for this. The small, or let's say you want to have a size limitation, like you know, if you put on the glove or some other thing wearable, you you cannot let's say as you say like pumps in because then you cannot drag around this pneumatic pump behind you for those applications. If it's something portable and uh, provide strong this uh, force or this kind of interaction with especially the human body, then uh, actually magnetic system is one direction to look at. Uh, they are definitely potentials in there. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So I also sent you my LinkedIn uh, in the message. You could send me like a request over there and check cool. me out there. And then, you know, I'll send you Rolf's. Uh, uh, I could probably just do a group chat on LinkedIn between me and Rolf to get that going, you know? Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, it'll be kind of fun to go from there because, you know, I, I, I really want I really want to enter the AR world as fast as possible. <laughs> so, like, my selfish incentive is not even money. It's like, can we just get this done so I can put these on and, like, we now have the AR world. Like, this is what's needed. And if we make it happen, we just opened up the AR world. You know, that's what's waiting. That's This is the last piece that's needed. Wow, that you would know? be amazing. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Mayor. Uh, this was um, such an amazing room. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to keep chatting or because it's almost two hours are up. I didn't want to take, you know, more time or time, but it's getting late for you too. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I'm looking forward for, you know, to hear, keep me updated how things work out. I'm, I'm happy about that. And um, yeah, feel always free or welcome to come back, Richard, with updates, maybe on other projects that you're working on. And um, yeah, we we are so thankful that you came here to share. Well, thank and, you so uh, much. Uh, it's been a great pleasure with all this really, really expert question. I think I'm also, you know, very inspiring talk. So it's a, it's a, it's a great pleasure. And thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming and asking great questions maybe even you know having new projects after this so uh it was amazing room i really appreciate everyone here and um yeah i hope i hear you all back soon we'll have um tomorrow quantum physics room related to uh quantum consciousness there are some new results from like um a real world uh, experiments and it's kind of not looking that good for the quantum consciousness theories out there but if you want to learn more and discuss it uh, come back tomorrow um, at 2 p.m um, EST so thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day evening morning wherever you are thank you thank you so much You're welcome bye-bye everybody thank you guys thank you bye see you next time